Hello and welcome to the second episode of Mindfulness Happy Hour, where Back to Reality specials are always served straight up. This is your host, Evan Vasili. And co-host, Montana Maxwell. And this week we're back for the second round of Staying Sane Through Corona Days. And before I get into the topic that we're going to cover today, I just wanted to briefly touch upon why we're doing this podcast in the first place one more time. So over the course of the past few years, I've noticed a surgence in the amount of Buddhist and mindfulness-related content coming out. And a lot of it is rather esoteric. A lot of it is rather academic. It's kind of hard to understand. It's a little bit uh, archaic in terms of the language and the way it's presented. And it's just very difficult to apply a lot of it to everyday life. So I wanted to create something and kind of take a lot of good information that I found and make it relatable for the average person living in the 21st century. And that's kind of what we're trying to do here. So without further ado, let's get started. Definitely for me personally, um, just given my disposition, I'm kind of an extrovert by nature. And I think certainly extroverts have probably been most aversely impacted by this whole thing, right? Yeah, everything that you like to do is illegal. Yeah, I... I <laughs> I actually saw a meme today that said exactly that. I know. <laughs> everything I like to do is illegal, and you know everything that I like to do is not only illegal, but also uh, selfish and... Uh, <laughs> very frowned upon. Very, very frowned upon, and, and given the circumstances and given the prescribed solutions to these problems, right? Yeah. Needless to say, so much of this is outside of our control. It's something we just kind of have to deal with for the moment. And so I'm trying to find ways to do that um, because this whole experience is holding up a mirror in front of me and I'm discovering that I'm more flawed than I thought I was previously because I'm very much attached to a lot of things and there's just a lot of stuff that I needed that I'm not getting right now, mostly in the way of social interaction and... Because of that, I'm feeling very the opposite of the topic that we're going to introduce today. So maybe in this, this situation will be your greatest teacher. That's right. Which is a good introduction to the topic that we want to talk about here, and that's anti-fragility. I think originally I was introduced to it through one of the YouTube channels that I subscribed to. And by the way, it's a great YouTube channel. Uh, the guy's name is The Realized Man. He likes to talk about a lot of Stoic concepts. Mm-hmm. Stoicism, you know, for anybody that doesn't know, I guess, is basically just the Western equivalent to Buddhism. But it's grounded in the fact that there's a lot of chaos going on in the world around us. But you know, the only thing we really can control is ourselves and how we react to things and how we go about preparing ourselves mentally, physically, and in terms of how we structure our lives, right? Yeah, it's, um, it's rooted in a lot of um, ancient Greek philosophy. Figures like Seneca. Seneca is a big one. Marcus Aurelius. Marcus Aurelius is another one as well. Epictetus. Exactly. Epictetus. That's right. I was I have, a hard, have a hard time saying that one too. <laughs> I was just saying the other day how cool it was that Epictetus literally had the word epic created because of him. Yeah. Which is pretty awesome. What a, what a badass thing to be named after, yeah. huh? Yeah. Or to pretty, have named after you. To have, yeah, to have named after you. Exactly. But. 
Well, so uh, to introduce the topic, basically the other day you were having a tough time. We both were. We have been. The other day? And, every day. Well, I, I'm saying with <laughs> how this topic came to be. Uh, I, I was in the shower and I remember you came up to me and because you like to talk to me when I'm in the shower um, because I can't mm-hmm. run away from you. <laughs> is that what it is? Yeah. <laughs> you like to talk to me in the shower and you came up and you're like, have you heard of this concept of anti-fragility? And I said, no. And you said, well, it might not be what it sounds like. And then you started introducing it to me. Yeah, so, so usually... When I hear the word anti-fragility, my first impulse, you know, just coming at this from the lens of a skeptic is to say, oh, this is some more chest beating, hustle hard, classic suck it up and try harder mentality rub stuff. Rub, rub some dirt in it, buddy, you know? Yeah. That, that's it. And, and so I'm like, all right, well, you know, let's, let's dig into this a little bit and see what this whole anti-fragility thing is all about. And as I actually started getting into it more and I learned a little bit more about some of the people behind what it is and kind of writing about it, it starts to make a little bit more sense to me. And I think especially looking at it from a from kind of a Buddhist lens, from a mindfulness-oriented lens, there's a lot of a lot of congruencies, a lot of things that are kind of lining up and uh, there's a lot of alignment between those two things. Yeah, there's a lot so, of things that I agreed with also. Exactly. That's so, right. Let's get into it. Yeah. So anti-fragility was introduced by this guy named Nassim Taleb back in 2012. Um, He actually wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. This guy's done a lot of different things, but he went from being a hedge fund manager to professor to now, you know, being kind of like a public intellectual almost. And, you know, there's a lot of things the guy stands for, a lot of things that he doesn't stand for. He's a pretty opinionated dude. But without getting too much into him personally, I want to talk about his book because, again, I think there's a lot of great takeaways from mm-hmm. it. So why uh, don't we first talk about what, instead of being what anti-fragile is, what is being fragile? Fragility, it's basically when stress happens, you're really susceptible to a negative impact. That's it. So yeah. bad thing happens, you suffer as a result, and afterwards you come out worse than you were before that stressful thing happened. Mm-hmm. Yep. If you put it, you know, in the simplest of terms, glass is fragile because it doesn't take a lot of pressure to break glass. The next category that things can fall into is things that are resilient. A resilient thing is something that stays the same under stress. So using the same logic as before, stressful thing happens resilient thing withstands that stress, you know, possibly wavers a little bit, but comes out at the end the same as it was before. And resilience is good. And I think there's been a lot of people that have talked about being resilient in times like this and really all the time. I think a lot of people think that the ultimate goal in a stressful time is resilience. That's right. Yeah. Just Holding your ground, you know, staying steady and coming out and being able to pick right back up where you left off. Yeah. Pick up the pieces afterwards. But it turns out there's a third category beyond that, and that's the concept of being anti-fragile. And that's getting better under stress. You know, something that is better under stress, you know, undergoes a stressful event and comes out the other end just a little bit better than it was before in some way. 
You know, it, it could be a lot of different things. That doesn't have to be necessarily financially. It doesn't necessarily have to be materially or stronger in a physical sense or whatever it is. It could, it could also be stronger mentally, mentally emotionally, spiritually, you know, mm-hmm. however, however you want to put it. But yeah, these are the things that anti-fragile thing experiences. Yeah. Our bodies are actually incredibly anti-fragile. If you think about what lifting weights does to our muscles, it requires us putting a decent amount of pressure in order for the muscle fibers to break down and they start to repair themselves. And instead of just repairing themselves, they actually increase so that they can take that same amount of pressure that we're going to keep putting on them. And that's why we continue to get stronger and stronger because as we add pressure, our muscle fibers either increase or they get bigger. So at this point in the podcast, you're probably thinking to yourself, wow, this whole anti-fragile thing sounds amazing, but how the hell do I achieve that? That's easier said than done. So what are some things I can do to actually achieve that effect? Well, again, going back to this book, Anti-Fragility, that Nassim wrote, there's 10 major principles that he talks about and things you can kind of follow along to achieve or at least get closer to an anti-fragile state. And the first thing we're going to talk about here is sticking to simple rules. So I think that a lot of the time when we're doing a lot of different things, we have a tendency to really overcomplicate stuff. You know, we go in and we want to learn all of the different complexities of it. You know, we want to get into too many different considerations. It's a paralysis by analysis kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Really, especially when you're first getting into something, if you just stick to the basics and stick to the stuff that's kind of tried and true, a lot of the time you're going to expose yourself to a lot more risk. You're not going to go with kind of like a fad approach, something that may be working right now due to specific conditions but won't work in the long run. I think a lot of it also is just you have a a higher chance of succeeding when you keep it simple. You do. Think about the guitar. It's an instrument that a lot of people can play basically well. It's really hard to play the guitar really well. But if you start off trying to play a really hard Jimi Hendrix song, then you're going to struggle a lot more than trying to play a Wonderwall song for your first song. That's right. If you pick up that guitar and you sing out just like every other college student on earth and you, and you play those chords, eventually, you know, you're going to pick it up and you're going to pick up a song that's a little bit harder than that and a little bit harder than that. And again, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to flow. Yeah. Right? And I think this is really hard for you and me and maybe a lot of other people in our generation where we see people that are already the best at something or we think they're the best or really, really good at something that when we start something and it's a lot harder than we think it's going to be, we tend to give up. So I think that this is a really good rule to live by and keep us keep us going. Grounded. Keep us grounded. grounded because trying to keep things simpler instead of trying to be the best and overcomplicate things is what's going to keep us trying. Yeah, I mean, I, these days people think that they can watch... A YouTube video, and this is actually um, something that Mark Manson writes about in his books a lot too. Mm-hmm. But people think that they can uh, watch a quick tutorial on something and master it in, you know, six weeks of training. Right? Mm-hmm. That, that's 
honestly just not how things work. Yeah. But yeah, again, when you keep things simple, A, you can stick to them. B, you ensure that even if a lot of other stuff was going on, uh, you don't lose, you don't, be, you don't become discouraged. Exactly. You, know, you, you keep the momentum going and it's something simple that you can stick to. Mm-hmm. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. And that brings us to the next principle, which is building in redundancy and layers. And to make this simple, it's not having a single point of failure, not having a single place where things can go wrong. Because when there's a single point of failure and something comes up that causes whatever that system is to fail, it's going to happen. It's going to fail eventually. So the, the best example of this, I think, is if you have a fire extinguisher around for when a fire happens, maybe have a second fire extinguisher, right? When you're jumping, when you're skydiving, you're jumping out of a plane, uh, don't just have one parachute because sometime, at some point that parachute's not going to work. So you better, you sure as hell better have a second parachute ready to go. You want to plan A, B, C, D, and so on. Exactly. You, you, that's, that's right, yeah. Even a plan B isn't enough. Um, and... It's funny because a trend that's been really big, I think, over the past, I don't know, 10 years or so is kind of a trend towards minimalism. And it's something that I've really grabbed onto. And I think there's a lot of great things that come from that perspective. But the thing that having 56 items really tends to leave out is it doesn't leave any room for error. Um, It doesn't create any margin space for things to go wrong. Yeah. Right now we're in a time of being locked in our house and if we were minimalist we wouldn't have a puzzle to do <laughs> that's right we wouldn't it's, because that normally that that puzzle wouldn't be sparking no, joy to use a Marie Kondo necessary, term you know? yeah, yeah yeah it would be unnecessary right or you know kind of some of the some of the games that have been sitting in our closet would, would be gone right now or you know maybe we only have food to last a few days and not enough in the case that there was some sort of lock, a further lockdown step that happened. Yeah, and it, it's not about hoarding either. It's about finding a balance between the things that are necessary for daily life, the things that you need, and the things that you might need. That's it. Yeah, yeah that's right. You know, you, you don't want to be stocking up on everything and, and anything, but, you know, just have the stuff that you might need. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really what it comes down to. Basically, just huh? not putting all your eggs in one basket. That's a really simple way to think of it. Yeah, that's just it. Yeah. Exactly. Which really brings me to the next principle too, and, and that's not suppressing randomness. Because there, there's going to be, when I say randomness, the first time that I, I read about that concept, I'm like, what, what the hell is randomness? Um, it's just stuff happens. A lot of times bad things happen. Things that you didn't expect. You know, you expected life to go a certain way and then all of a sudden this crazy catastrophic thing happened. You were doing great. You know, you were chugging along. You were you're doing well at work. Maybe you're you you have a business that was starting to take off. You're starting to get more clients or whatever. And then all of a sudden, this crazy catastrophic thing called coronavirus happened, and you know, completely threw you off your game, and you couldn't live the way you wanted to live anymore. Well, I think that's been one of the hardest parts for me throughout this whole thing. Was I was pretty much in denial through the mo- the first few weeks, and I kept thinking to myself. This isn't supposed to happen. We live in a modern world. That's right. Medicare or medical care is amazing. And we're resilient and things are too modern for this, basically. That's right. This is the 21st century, goddammit. Every problem is supposed to be fixed and figured out. And we're supposed to have, 
you know, the ability to survive anything. And the only, you know, the biggest issue we're supposed to have in today's day and age is what show we're going to watch on Netflix yeah. tonight, right? I, I, I went through every single thing <laughs> I went through first. Oh, there's no way coronavirus is going to be a problem. And then I went through, oh, there's no way that we're going to be on lockdown. Yep. And I went through, oh, there's no way that they're still going to close the parks and the beaches and the yep. trails. <laughs> and, and there's no way it's going to last more than a couple weeks, four weeks, six weeks, you exactly. know? Exactly. So... I was very much trying, trying to suppress the randomness of what has been going on, and that yep. made me really, really fragile during this whole time because I was having constant mental breakdowns because I kept telling myself, this isn't supposed to be this way, and this isn't going to happen this way, and it shouldn't be happening this way. But so the fact of the matter is, life is going to be full of this stuff. Even when this ends, no matter what happens, there's always going to be random shit that happens and rather than trying to suppress that and pretend like it doesn't exist and, you know, even put systems in place to prevent that from happening, we should just create systems that expect it to happen. Or having know? no expectations would be the Buddhist way. Exactly. To eliminate expectations. That's right. So tying tied into kind of a Buddhist concept. Yeah, this, you know, this is one of the first things that a Buddhist said, right? First noble truth. Life is suffering. Suffering is inevitable. And we just got to learn to deal with it. Mm -hmm. Acceptance and stopping expectations. Yep. As, as hard as that is. And I know that's easier said than done. Much Believe easier. me, I know that better than anybody. Yeah. But um, that's what we got to keep trying to do. So anyways, moving to the next principle. Make sure that you have your soul in the game. And what that really means is make sure that you have some stake in what's happening. Um, when, when you don't care what the outcome is, you're, you're not going to put your best foot forward. Mm -hmm. That's the phrase I was going for there. <laughs> so so in, in other words, um, when, when you don't either benefit from the outcome or not have any sort of stake in the outcome at all, you're, you're not going to put the same amount of time and effort into something. Yeah. But the, so, so this is a hard one coming from a Buddhist background. Because one of the big Buddhist teachings is unattachment. Mm -hmm. So can you kind of explain how you can have soul in the game without being attached to it? Yes. And that's probably one of the hardest things in Buddhism. So when a lot of people are first learning about Buddhist concepts, um, I think a lot of them learn about non-attachment. And one of the first things they say is, well, you know, if, if I'm not attached to the outcome, then... Why do I care at all? You know, why am I going to do anything here? You know, why not just sit on a rock and, you know, stare off into the distance for the rest of my life, right? And that's a tough question, but the, really the answer is that you have to be invested without being attached. Mm -hmm. So you have to try and continue to try to make yourself internally and the world around you a better place while simultaneously not attaching to the outcome. Mm -hmm. And I think that that plays in perfectly here. It's, it's good to care. It's not good to become so attached to something that you experience negative emotions as a result of it not going your way. So you really just, you don't want to tie your identity to it. You, don't, you want to keep your ego out of it, basically. Yes. I mean, of course, we'll, at some point we'll talk more about ego, but... We want to keep our ego out of the things that we do. So moving to the next principle and thing that you should be trying, experiment and tinker. 
Basically, this involves taking a lot of small risks. Those are risks with your time, risks with your resources maybe, spending a little bit of money here, a little bit of money there. You know, maybe you're taking a risk by buying an instrument and starting to learn something. Maybe you're taking a risk by enrolling in some sort of class, whether that's learning a new skill uh, for the, the job you have or just learning something that you've always wanted to learn before. Maybe it's picking up a martial art. The second part to that is while you want to experiment and tinker and take those small risks, you want to avoid major risks or things that could totally wipe you out if they didn't go according to plan. So an example of a, a big risk like that is, you know, maybe you don't want to spend all of your money and drop it into some business that, that may or may not work out. And then all of a sudden you end up broke and desperate, right? Um, you know, maybe it, it's, a, it's a bad idea if you go out there, hire Bono to teach you guitar lessons and all of a sudden, you know, maybe you don't pick it up as well as you thought you did, or maybe you don't like it, or maybe you decide you, really, you don't really want to be a rock star, right? Yeah, I really like this one, and I'm, I give this example a lot just because it's my experience and what I've lived through, but I see a lot of people around my age who don't experiment or tinker enough. They all either are starting a big business or... You know, they, they, they just want these big, grand things that take a lot of work and a lot of risk. And I don't see a lot of people, I mean, they say for our generation, hobbies are dead. There aren't a lot of people out there that are just picking up an instru instrument for fun. And I have myself been... Or knitting or yeah. drawing or using charcoal, painting... I myself have been guilty about cool this because <laughs> I, I consider myself an artist. I love to draw. I like to paint. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of art and then I end up suppressing my creativity by thinking to myself, how can I monetize this? How can I make this bigger? How can I show this to the world? How can this get my name out there? Instead of just sitting down for an hour and drawing a picture. And I think that our generation has become really susceptible to this. A another example, I took a few aerial uh, arts classes, you know, like the silks where you climb and spin around and you do the splits, <laughs> those things. And it was really, really hard. And I gave up because I was thinking, oh, like, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to actually perform instead of just taking the time to learn the skill and enjoy it. And Because that's a small risk. Again, what, what are you spending there? I mean, you were, you were, Maybe dropping a hundred bucks a month. Not and you're even. Spending it was a fifty-dollar group on. A couple hours a week working on it, and you didn't devote your life to it right off the bat. You didn't. You didn't drop out of school and say, "I'm, I'm going to become an aerial acrobat now." Mm -hmm. um, again, you were just devoting a small amount of time and resources to it, and. I think I just I need to shift my mindset to enjoying those things for what they are instead of what they could be. You know That's right. what I mean? And that way, too, you're avoiding the, the whole starving artist thing. I think a lot of people kind of steer clear of those things because they immediately think, oh, I have to devote my entire life to it. No, you don't. Keep a steady day job. Have something to pay your bills. You're sure that you're going to have a roof over your head and food on the table. And then pursue your passion in the off time. Yeah. And if something becomes of it, then fantastic. But if, if not, well, you're doing something you really enjoy and... Um, again, you, you've got a hobby that you can hopefully take through the rest of your life with you. And we're not even saying not to take risks. The world is the way it is because of people who took risks. And the greatest things have happened because of people who took risks. It's just... 
So hold on, let's let's dig into that for a second because that's that's kind of going against that principle. Actually, you're you're actually saying that sometimes it is good to take really big risks. Well, I'm just thinking of the great people out there, like Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela. Those yep. are people that took massive, massive risks, and it's because of them that segregation has ended and apartheid and other various things around the world. It is. So is it, is it fair to say then that being one of those people and trying to make a change that is that disruptive and that grand makes you fragile? Yeah, I do think that's fair to say. I think those people did make themselves fragile by doing that. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to say that that's not necessarily a bad thing, depending on what you want or what you're trying so, to So is, is the key determining factor then maybe whether or not it's worth it to be fragile in any given scenario? I think so. That is to say that there are cases in which the payout is worth the potential risk that you place on yourself. Definitely. Right. Yeah. So, with all these principles, and really with anything that we or anybody else on any of these podcasts will tell you, it's to be approached on a case-by-case basis. And I think the bottom line is you always have to assess if for you, you know, based on your life goals and what you want, the things that make you tick and the things that make you happy, if something is worth the risk for you, then maybe it is worth it to sell everything in the kitchen sink and go out there and start that crazy thing you're looking to start. Or maybe it is worth it to, to stand up and you know make some sort of grand gesture in the way that a Martin Luther King did to uh, hopefully encourage some sort of change. But you know, as, as a general rule, these are things to think about. I would say you don't the, want to take unnecessary risk. I would say at the end of the day, if you're just trying to live a balanced, happy life, then yes. You don't want to take unnecessary risks. Small risks and, you know, avoid avoid taking big ones unless, again, it's the most important thing to you and it's something that is, is really near and dear and, you know, you're, I think you think your happiness is maybe quite attached to. Yeah. Anyways, moving into the next one here, and this is a big one for me because I really have a tendency towards this, don't get consumed by the data. In other words, don't get so wrapped up in the fact that there is a whole internet of options out there and stuff that you could read and research that you could do and probably more options than we have ever had in the history of humanity today uh, when it comes to deciding what the next step we're going to take is. Paralysis by analysis is a huge one. At the end of the day, you've got to go based on heuristics. You've got to go based on the limited information you have, knowing full well that you don't have all the information, you've got to make a decision and take the plunge. Yeah. And honestly, I'm looking at you here. Uh, you're, you're an expert at this one because <laughs> you, you tend to do the least amount of research possible before taking the plunge into something. There are exceptions. You know, you, you tend to throw out a lot of different restaurant options where we're trying to decide what we want to eat on Friday night. But, but most of the time, you are not a paralysis by analysis kind of person. You know, you look on Amazon, we're looking for our, our next decoration. I spend an hour doing the research, you know, going you through it. You have to make sure it's the perfect one. Making sure that one. it's the perfect one. 
you're on there for five minutes and you're like, okay, I got three things. Let's pick one. <laughs> you thought you know? about buying a new car for a year and you ended up buying basically the same car that you already I had. I bought the same one that I was going to buy originally. Uh-huh. And, and, I, and if I, I, went, I went to the dealership not expecting to buy a car and I bought a car within a few hours of that day. I just... That's, that's the difference right there. And exactly. And you, because you knew. You had enough information to take the plunge and you just went for it. Yeah. For me... I, I did have all the information that I needed from the get-go, but the mistake that I made was was thinking that maybe I didn't have enough information to make a decision. I wasn't unsure at that point. Or, I, sh- I should have I should have went based on kind of my gut feeling. Or I think that. a lot of people think that another a better option is either out there or will come around. Oh my goodness, that's that's a big one too. Yeah. So FOMO, you know, fear of of missing out and fear of not choosing the perfect thing and going out there and finding out that somebody made a better choice than you did. Um, God, it is so easy to get wrapped up in that stuff. And that's exactly what often stimmies A, any sort of real progress, and B, any, any sort of real happiness and just satisfaction with, with what you've got. Um, it's, it's kind of like anti-gratitude behavior almost. Because yeah. there's always going to be something out there that, that may or may not have been better. And honestly, you probably won't even know. Yeah, for me, I think, you know, I try to think about why I am this way as I always kind of have been, but I think it's just I find something that's good enough and I can appreciate that. That's all that really matters to me. I don't need the best thing out there. If it's good enough, I know I'm going to be happy with it. That's right. It's almost like we don't need something to be perfect to be happy. We just need it to be good enough. And I think that's a lot of something that people tend to forget, especially now in 2020 at an age in an age where people more than ever are saying uh good enough isn't good enough you know you have to be the best or else yes and honestly that that doesn't really go hand in hand with being anti-fragile i think having a mentality where you need to be the best at everything you touch all the time and everything that you do has to be absolutely perfect makes you incredibly fragile it also creates stagnation because if something has to be the best how are you ever going to release it? Because nothing is the best. First of all, nothing is the best. I mean, it's really, really hard to get to the best. It it's is. Take it's a it's, whole it's relative. And even if something is objectively the best, you're, you're always going to be beaten at some point. Mm-hmm. And to be, quote unquote, the best is going to take a lifetime. And it's subjective. It's going back to the car analogy, you... Drive a Mustang. It's a great car. You love it. It wasn't the best car for me. I wouldn't buy that car. Mm -hmm. For you, that might be the best. For me, it's not. For somebody else, they might think a Tesla is the coolest car on the road. Something like that. Yeah, that's right. I mean, God, somewhere out there, somebody thinks that a Ford Fiesta is the best car in the world. I have a Subaru Forester. This is not an ad. I love it more than anything. (laughs) It's a great car. (laughs) So go out and buy one. No, just kidding. Seriously, not an ad. But, Super sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, God, maybe one day. <laughs> but, um, anyways, yeah, so don't get consumed by the data. Don't focus on being perfect. Just focus on being good enough and doing the best you can and you know, go with the information you got at a certain point and just take the plunge. Yeah. Just, you just got to pick something. Definitely. That's it. Um, but yeah, moving into the next principle keep your options open and this is kind of like the opposite of the last one in a way but but not quite right so while you want to make sure that you don't get caught up in paralysis by analysis 
you also want to make sure that there's not only one thing that you can pick. Mm -hmm. And a really great example of this is actually what I've done with my career as a marketer. For anybody out there that's in marketing, you'll, you'll, you'll get this right off the bat, but there's a lot of different parts of marketing. And especially when people are first starting off in their career, they tend to pick just one part and they stick to that one thing. And they get really, really good at that one thing. But the problem is they don't learn a whole lot about any of the other parts of marketing. And so, you know, for example, someone will become like an SEO intern and then they'll move from there and become an SEO coordinator, an SEO specialist, SEO manager. And before they know it, they're really, really good at that part of digital marketing. But the problem is they've now limited themselves to that particular niche and they can't get a job that focuses on any of their parts. So they have to find a company that's looking for someone that is going for that particular role and nothing else. It doesn't give you any options. So you want to make choices and set yourself up in a way that allows you to choose between several different things and give you some ability to be agile, give you the ability to move around as needed and make the choices that take you through and get you through safely. And I want to touch on this a little bit from a non-career perspective. I was just thinking about during this time, during coronavirus, Evan and I have had a hard time because we are so used to having our outlets be hanging out with friends, going to a bar, going on a trip. So right now we have had to pivot the things that become our outlets to things like going for a run or just being in the sun for a few minutes, playing a board game at home. So even aside from career, it's about finding different things out there that you know will continue to make you happy. That's right. Yeah. And we've had to change some of the things that we view as outlets because a lot of the things that we normally do their outlets are not, not available to us right exactly. now. So it's like you want to have a diversity of options. Things that you can do to enjoy yourself and a step away from all that is too real right now. Exactly. Yeah, you don't, uh, as I said before, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket. You don't want only your work to make you happy, only your family to make you happy. Only mm, that's your that's a big one. Yeah, you yeah. know. I read a, a really depressing statistic the other day about suicide rates in the country and how they've, they've gone up dramatically over the past you know, 10, 20 years or so, particularly among older, primarily male demographic, a lot of retirees. It's really sad. And it, it is. It's, it's super sad. And I think that the biggest thing is a lot of these guys completely attach their identity to what they do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about their career. And the second that that's gone... They've got nothing else. Yeah. That, that's all that's all there is. Mm-hmm. And this kind of comes along with the concept of being balanced. You have to find joy in different areas of your life. You, you, want, you want to find joy in your home life. You want to find joy in you know friendships that you have. You want to find joy in maybe hobbies that you've developed or things that you enjoy doing on the weekend or a professional runner can find joy in life if he becomes paralyzed. That's just it. Yeah. Exactly. So this brings me to the next principle and what I think is probably top three most important principles that we've talked to, and that is focusing more on avoiding the things that don't work than trying to find out what does work. Mm -hmm. This plays in perfectly with Buddhism too, because a big part of Buddhism is getting rid of the stuff that makes you suffer. So we don't always know what the best path forward is 
and we all have our view of whatever that could be, but I think we can agree that there are certain things that we have tried that just aren't getting us to where we want to be. Mm-hmm. And those, those are things like acting with our ego. You know, those are things like engaging in bad habits on a daily basis that we know are dragging us down. But we still do them anyway because, well, they feel good in the moment. And it's really hard to get away from those things. It's really hard to break a habit. (laughs) It's really hard to break that habit. We we kind of already talked about that. Rather than trying to find all the things that we should be putting in our life right now to make us better at dealing with this, this quarantine coronavirus stuff, you know, maybe we should focus on taking out the things that we know aren't adding to this. To give a couple examples. Those are things like spending a lot of time looking at the news, spending a lot of time reading articles and reading opinions from people that are talking about all the things that they think and the projections they have and all the the different ways that the world is probably going to look after that's done. And you might be saying to yourself, depending on who you are and what you do, well, isn't that just preparation? I mean, isn't that just getting me ready for what's to come? Because I find myself thinking that a lot. And the answer is yes, but, but only to a certain degree. Because the fact of the matter is, especially in a time like this, People have no idea. And it's changing every day. And it's changing every day. You know, there are so many things and already so many predictions that I've heard that just haven't been accurate. I mean, you had a really good one today. Well, the governor said half of California was going to get it at this point. So far, California's done really well. I just want to give an example as a personal trainer of something that I would do with my clients. Uh, I will have a client come to me that says, I want to start exercising every day. I want to start eating healthy. I want to start tracking my food. I want to make sure I'm going on a walk every day. They come to me with this list of things that they want that they think is going to make them the healthiest. And the first thing I like to do is say, well, what are your unhealthy habits? What are you doing that's making you less healthy? And, you know, they'll say, well, I eat five cookies a day or I drink a six pack of Coca-Cola. And then I say, well, then let's not focus on the exercise and the adding and the walking and making sure every meal is healthy. And let's just take out that six pack of Coca-Cola. So it's all about just taking away these unhealthy habits before building in the healthy habits. That's going to make it seem a lot easier and a lot more doable. Because when you come to, when you decide you want to completely restructure your life, or your day, or whatever it is, it's gonna be a lot harder. Another good example is, think of procrastination. Think of you know, not, not getting started, or not getting to something that you've wanted to get to, or had on your to-do list for a long time. Rather than writing in your planner, or whatever you use to organize your day, today is the day I'm gonna do this thing. You know, how about stopping the behaviors that are leading to that procrastination in the first place. You know, maybe every time you sit down to do whatever it was you say you're going to do, you're in a place where the temptation is there. Remove that temptation. Take your phone away. Go somewhere where Netflix isn't available. Netflix isn't an option. I know you're always, you know, for a lot of people, depending on whatever that thing you're trying to do is, a lot of time a computer is involved. But yeah, just, just do whatever you can to put yourself in an environment where you're taking away any sort of opportunity to go the direction you don't want to yeah, go. Yeah, that's another good example. So rounding it up here, bringing it all together, the last principle that we wanted to talk about in regards to anti-fragility is respect the old. 
And what we mean by that is look for the habits and rules that have been around for a long time because they're tried and true. And we're not telling you not to innovate. Innovation is how we progress and grow, not only as individuals, but as a human race. That's not the point here. We are saying is when you stick to the basics, nature's had a long time to figure things out already. There's been a, a whole series, millennia, even millions of years of, of testing that has already occurred. And there are certain processes that are just a good way to go about doing things. Basically, less is more in this regard. Kind of going back to principle number one, sticking to simple rules. Mm-hmm. Overcomplicate things or when you feel like you've got to reinvent the wheel every time, maybe you don't. Maybe you can just stick to the tried and true method that's really going to take you there. So probably the biggest example I can think of this is food. And everybody knows that there are a million and one fad diets and there have been since the beginning of time. There's always some new thing coming out, whether it's low carb, whether it's keto, whether it's going back to low fat, the newest supplement out there, the newest herb that's supposed to make you a superhuman. There's always something new out there and some new way to, to cheat the system and to, to get better, right? And... Throughout the years, I've lashed on to a lot of these things. But still, I go back to time and time again, the best supplement out there, the best diet out there is to eat whole foods, things that we've been eating for the past 10,000 plus years, yeah. primarily. A balanced diet. A balanced diet. That's it. Nothing that's been made in a lab, nothing that's been genetically modified and engineered to be whatever it's been engineered to and be. And nothing you don't have to cut out sugar or carbs or protein or anything. It's just no. what people have been doing forever. Right, because you got to remember the way that evolution has worked. Our bodies are optimized for the same thing that we've been doing for the past however many thousand years that human beings have existed as a species. Yeah. Naturally, what's going to work best is, is what we've been doing all this time. Whether it's food, whether it's sleep, I mean, God, I, I've seen some crazy stuff out there. I've seen, you know, I can't remember what, what this is called, but there's this thing where people are awake for four hours and sleep for 15 minutes, and then they go another four hours and they sleep for another 15 minutes. I mean, my goodness, historically, what human being was living like that? That just doesn't make sense. Yeah, I think it's just... And even if there is some sort of anecdotal evidence out there uh, on Reddit and in the ethers or wherever it is, about you know somehow experiencing superhuman effects as a result of doing that, I'm gonna guess that people probably haven't looked into that as much as they should have. Yeah. You know, again, stick to the basics. Yeah, I agree. I think it's best to just connect with our roots, respect the old. We're not saying you shouldn't innovate. At the same time, you want to respect what has worked for a long time and take that and just iterate off of mm-hmm. it. That's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Anyways, in summary, you know that's a lot of information to kind of take in and you know you can find all this stuff online if you just Google anti-fragility 10 principles. You can look into each one of these and kind of digest them on your own time. We wanted to give you some examples and kind of some real life applicability there. You can read the full book Anti-Fragile by Nassim Taleb. But if you take anything away from this whole podcast, this is really what I want you to take away. Suffering events that are catastrophic, things that happen that change our entire concept of 
what it is to be alive are always going to continue happening. It's never going to stop. Life is never going to be predictable and things are never just going to keep chugging along like you think they will. Rather than kind of taking a standpoint of, of setting ourselves up for the way we think things are going to go, let's start setting ourselves up for how things might go. It's the old adage, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst. And to tie that back into a Buddhist perspective, you really learn how to deal with these things. That's kind of a, an, an internal thing. You just want to do the best that you can, not only you know, with some of these tactics and, and principles that we were talking about to prepare your entire life for it, but you want to prepare yourself mentally. mentally. At any point in time, when something like this happens, there's going to be two choices. Either you can be angry or you can choose to just accept it for what it is and modify accordingly. At many points, certainly in my life and certainly in the past few weeks, I've chosen the anger. And every time I do, I wish I'd just chosen to accept it and, and to move on the best way I knew how. Nothing in life is guaranteed. Everything in life will change. I mean, everything that we know and love will someday be gone. But the only thing that we really have control over today is how we respond to that. And that's really the point that I want to drive home. I love it. <laughs> but, but anyways, so that, that is episode number two right there. Thank um, you for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. We are actually on iTunes. I believe we are now on Spotify as well. We're on a couple different services. And be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time, this is Evan Vasili. And Montana Maxwell. And this mindfulness happy hour has come to an end.